Hi, everyone, and welcome back to VentureCast. I'm your host, Vikas Raj of Axion Venture Lab. For new listeners joining us, Axion Venture Lab is a global fintech and financial inclusion investor. In the last season of VentureCast, VentureCast Rebuild, we explored the state of our industry in the wake of COVID-19 and how investors and entrepreneurs are meeting and thriving despite its challenges. We're now excited to welcome you back to kick off a new four-part series of the podcast that will focus on insights from VentureLab's latest research paper called Win From Within. The paper looks at how fintech startups are rethinking the old venture capital axiom of growth at any cost, and instead focusing on building value for their existing users and growing and winning from within. In the paper, we outline strategies companies can take in scaling their businesses. We featured nine venture lab portfolio companies in the paper, and over the next few weeks, I'll be talking to three of those companies to learn about their stories, how the COVID-19 crisis is impacting their customers, and how they're evolving their value proposition for existing users to grow their businesses. The paper is available on our website, and we'll also link to it in our show notes. But to kick things off for our first episode, We'll hear from my colleague, Ami Parbu, who's Venture Lab's Director of Investments and who led the writing and insights behind this paper. Ami, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, Vikas. Excited to be here. I'm a long-time listener. Thank you for being our only long-time listener, and, and I realize we work together. Um, so uh, you, you don't necessarily have a choice, uh, and you're still our only listener. So Ami, tell us more about the paper and why you decided to focus on this topic. Yeah, you know, we've been thinking a lot about how fintech companies are taking an alternate approach to growth. Uh, Like you said, going beyond growth at any cost and instead focusing on growing profitably. So a year ago, 18 months ago, our team was having conversations about the state of the VC industry, particularly here in the U.S., uh, and this hyper focus on growing as fast as you can. You know, there are lots of buzzwords being thrown around like blitz scaling and growth hacking. And of course, you know, there's the glowing press uh, for whoever is the latest unicorn. And, you know, I'd, I'd be lying if I, were, if I were to say that that isn't enticing to hear as an investor. But, you know, there's a flip side to it. And that's what we saw happen to WeWork. It's where, when a business really doesn't have solid unit economics that they're built off of. And that's that's really the opposite of what we look for at Venture Lab. We're looking for sustainable long-term growth. And it really didn't feel like that was the front and center in the VC industry. And I think what was particularly concerning is that we're starting to see that thinking become more prevalent around the world in the emerging markets we invest in. I continue even now, and I'm sure you do too, because to see pitch decks at the seed stage with beautiful hockey stick growth charts and, you know, have conversations with founders who can share a lot of detail around the customer acquisition, but very rarely do I see or hear thinking around how I'm going to drive lifetime value and how can I move toward positive unit economics. It just felt like that conversation around profitability was taking a backseat to acquisition. And as a fund, I don't think we see this as a phased approach. It's not that first comes growth, and then when we've figured that out, we can move on to thinking about profitability. So I really wanted to dive deeper into what we've seen from working with companies over the past eight years, uh, that startups don't have to wait until they're bigger to focus on sustainable and profitable growth 
Instead, I wanted us to be able to highlight how companies are testing and learning on this from the first day, from day one. In particular, I think what we saw was this really interesting innovation and strategies around how startups are you know, successfully growing their business by focusing on existing customers, whether by doubling down, evolving, or expanding what their value propositions are to those customers. That long-term value isn't just interesting you know, from a commercial perspective, but it's also really interesting from an impact perspective, thinking about how we can reach and serve these underserved customers. So as you said, that's what the paper does. We profile nine portfolio companies who've taken on that challenge. They're not only expanding their customer basis, but they're testing and learning how they serve and retain those customers over time. So hopefully this paper is exciting. We're, we're really hoping to tell the stories and showcase those journeys. That's really interesting, Ami. Tell me a little bit about how you conceptualize the paper, because I know that you started thinking about this before COVID-19, and obviously the last nine months feel like they have changed everything in our industry. It's been a particularly challenging time for companies to try to grow and raise money. How has um, this challenge, as you perceived it, changed uh, given the pandemic? Yeah. You know, I think we believe, and I believe this approach is more relevant than ever. As you said, we were planning to investigate this topic before the pandemic started. But once, you know, I think we realized the implications COVID-19 would have on startups, the customers that they serve, and just the uncertainty in investment climate, it was clear that, you know, really thinking about how you can serve your existing customers better and longer was going to be a, a no-brainer. So first off, like most investors, we are encouraging our companies to be cash efficient. Yes, we are seeing capital continue to flow into fintech, but there's still a high degree of uncertainty there. We know that total investment dollars has increased, but actually when you look at it, deal activity has gone down. So if you're an early stage company, it's it's continues to be wise to conserve your capital, extend your runway, and think about ways to grow smart. Secondly, we know that customers, whether they're small businesses or low-income households, are more vulnerable than ever. You know, whether it's lockdowns, business closures, you know, instability or volatility in income, uh, uncertainty with jobs, all of this means there's a real need for services that customers can trust and can make their lives better. So I think, as you said, this is a really challenging environment for inclusive fintech startups But I think it also opens up opportunities for companies to focus on the basics. What do their customers need? What can they do to retain their customers into the future? I think all of that's kind of critical to to this time. You sort of looked at um, a set of venture lab portfolio companies and the strategies they have taken to build value for existing customers. Can you tell us some of the specific findings? So when we looked at our companies and talked to founders about what they've been experimenting with, there were these three paths that they all seemed to take. First is thinking creatively about how they could engage their customers and motivate more frequent and more in-depth usage of their existing products. The second was thinking how to broaden the suite of offerings to specifically meet the needs of their existing customers. And the third was thinking about a graduation path. So not necessarily offering a variety of products at one time, but creating a roadmap for customers that made sense as those customers grew and as their needs evolved. Let me walk you through some examples of each. More interesting to hear from our portfolio companies uh, directly than from me. But the, the first strategy, we know that 
return can be expensive for businesses, especially if you've spent a lot to acquire them. So this first strategy is how you expand the features and increase engagement with customers to, to motivate higher usage. One of our portfolio companies, Field Intelligence, does this really well. Field works with pharmacies in Nigeria and Kenya, and they solve a number of different pain points in inventory management, distribution, and financing. They have an agent force, which is really critical to their business. Agents visit each pharmacy regularly. They track the inventory. They place orders. These agents gather the intel that power Field's supply chain solutions. Field started testing ways to bring more value to their pharmacists and found that if they can arm their agents with the right intelligence, specifically by providing recommendations on product mixes based on what similar pharmacies were stocking and selling, that could help the pharmacy drive more business and it would help Field increase their revenue too. In some of their territories, Field was seeing that with this enhancement, this product recommendation for, through agents, made a huge difference. It increased sales by 80% in some of their territories. The second strategy is all, again, about broadening that suite of offerings to meet a customer's unmet needs. And, and look, we know that startups at the early stages need to focus. Oftentimes, building too much too soon is a recipe for disaster. But I, I do think we found examples of startups that were doing this at the right moment. They were focusing on a target customer group where it made sense to broaden the suite of offerings in a way that built trust and that encouraged retention. Pintech is a great example here. Pintech is an education lender in Indonesia. They started actually by extending credit to families of students. They were helping those families make tuition payments more affordable. But as they built relationships with the schools to serve those end students, Pintech realized there are a range of unmet needs that they could, they could better serve. They realized that by providing schools with a suite of offerings, everything from infrastructure and working capital loans to, you know, as, as COVID started, helping those schools finance IT equipment and software to run online learning, all of that really stemmed from the same core needs for that school. And so by growing that offering early on in the journey, Pintech built a solid foundation, a more trusted relationship with the schools in a way that drove and drives retention today. And then finally, the third strategy, we saw companies that created this graduation path to grow with their users as their needs evolved. Self has a very innovative way of doing this. Self helps customers with thin and damaged credit in the U.S. build up their credit scores. They start by offering a credit builder account. So this is essentially a loan to buy a certificate of a deposit, which as the customers repay, helps them build their credit score and also save at the same time. While customers love this product, many would finish repaying the loan and then not really see the same benefit uh, of using the same product again. So self-developed a secured credit card that's very seamlessly transitions users from that credit builder account and continues to help them establish good financial habits and good credit. It, in a way, self is growing with their customers and they're readying those customers for the next step in their financial journey. That's really interesting. I mean, it, to hear each of the examples you just shared are companies that had to sort of iterate. They started with one focus and then they had to learn. So it's not like they knew exactly what their path was from the beginning and, and it all just sort of materialized as they envisioned it. Are there other kind of key insights you found as you looked at how these companies went from A to B to C and, and what their different journeys looked like? I think the really interesting insights I took away was kind of the how. 
how the companies came up with these strategies. So there's a clear thread across our companies in the client-centric approach to product design. One of the other companies we profile that's in our portfolio, SmartMay, serves micro-entrepreneurs in Brazil and saw a real need among gig workers to access their wages instantly that help them better manage, you know, what otherwise would be pretty lumpy payment and income. So SmartMate introduced advances, salary advances in 2018, but they've constantly been listening to feedback from their customers to improve on the app and improve on offerings. So now they've included a healthcare plan. And so all of that, I think being receptive to their customers, not just new customers, but existing customers was, I think, pretty prevalent across uh, the companies we talked to. I think also, like you said, nothing immediately clicked, but there was a real commitment across the companies to testing and learning to figure out what strategy worked here. Tienda Pago, for example, provides short-term inventory financing for small retailers in Peru and Mexico. So as they thought about ways to prevent churn, Tienda Pago tried a number of different strategies. They tried digital discounts, free transactions, WhatsApp campaigns. Some worked better than others, but what they found the best way to do this was, in fact, to be very data-driven and very targeted in how they deploy their agents. And they saw that was really what made a huge difference in kind of preventing churn and making sure users were continuing to use their user services. So, again, I, I think this you know concept of not necessarily figuring everything out from day one, but starting the journey and testing and learning from day one is is, is pretty critical and something we hope. Uh, other startups take away from reading the case studies. Thank you very much for that, Ami. Let me ask one final question here, which is now that you've written and published the paper, you've done all of this research, what's sort of the one key lesson that you would want other startups, other investors that are listening to the episode to take with them? Yeah, I mean, I think this concept of testing and learning and starting from day one, I don't think any early stage investor, we, we aren't expecting you to kind of have solved this and said, here's my path to profitable growth. Here's how I'm going to really drive value for my existing customer. But we want to see that you're, you're testing different things and you're figuring out what the needs of your customers are to drive lifetime value and to, and to drive uh, retention. So this concept that kept coming out through our case studies of testing and learning different approaches is really critical. And for the investors, I, I think it's continuing to look for this and ask for it among startups, pushing back against the growth at all costs mentality that we've been talking about and thinking about, you know, how do we make sure we're encouraging discussion of the right metrics for profitable growth, uh, even among our seed and series A companies? So hopefully this paper provides some insights and some ways in which companies can do that, in particular by focusing on their existing customers and thinking about ways to drive long-term value for their end customers. Terrific. Thank you so much, Ami, for taking the time to talk to us. Our next episode will be the first of the three interviews I will be doing with the startup CEOs that have um, done these challenges and been able to figure out strategies for serving existing customers and growing existing customer loyalty and engagement. We're going to start next week with interviewing Jamie de Los Angeles, the co-founder of Advance, a salary on demand platform that allows consumers to get early access to their wages in the Philippines. And he'll really talk about the first strategy that Ami presented on usage. We're really looking forward to that conversation. Thank you all for listening.